of Nebo Podcast. Gone last week. Matt was keeping it down. And here yeah, I yeah. am. We're back. We're back together. More. If you don't know what the Nebo Podcast is, we yeah. talk about movies, TV, music, and video games. Not necessarily in that order. <laughs> My name's Mike. His name's Matt. My name is Matt. His name is Mike. And yes, it is March the 12th, 2022. This is episode 322. Coincidence. Um, not really. <laughs> um, and yeah, yeah, welcome. A lot of stuff to get through today. A lot of good thoughts and maybe some less good thoughts. Uh, but yeah, we've been uh, engaged in entertainment for you. Yes, um, I was gone last week. If you want to listen to Matt's solo cast, yeah. you can get that in your uh, podcasting catching feed. Um, but because I was out, I got a lot of thoughts to talk about. Yeah, thoughts to catch up this week. Listen, watched, and <laughs> read maybe a lot of different <laughs> stuff. So let's uh, not waste any more time. Get right into it as we start with music. We start the music with the Billboard, and we start the Billboard with the Hot 100, and it finally happened. Yeah, we have a new number one song. Mm-hmm. Slowly climbing up the chart, Heat Waves by Glass Animals is your number one song. In fact, it is now your record record holder for longest time for a song to reach number one, climbing the chart. Believe it or not. I thought that record was um, Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas is You. It has beaten it. Is beaten it? It is the new record holder for longest to get to number one from elsewhere on the chart. Okay. Yeah. Because you have to keep in mind, there was a period of time where that song was not on the 100 at all. Right. This, however, has been in the 100 since it debuted. It's just down somewhere until recently it's climbed to the top five, finally gets that number one spot. Congratulations to Glass Animals yeah, I guess. for making that climb. It's catchy. I get it. It's a catchy song. Yeah. Uh, which means at number two, yes. we don't talk about Bruno from the Encanto soundtrack. Still a third, top five. Still a threat. No longer, um, which means get your kids. I mean, a lot of parents have stopped wanting to listen to it. Well, I mean, Turning Red's out now, so there's a different movie to put on. Hey, but we'll talk about Turning Red right a bit later. Uh, coming in at number three, A, B, C, D, E, F, U by Gail. Yep. Coming in at four, Super Grublin by Kodak Black. And rounding out your top five, Stay by the Kid Leroy and Justin Bieber. Yeah. That means um, uh, Adele kicked to number six again this week. So this is the second uh-huh. week, I believe, that she's been out of the top five since that single debut. I think we may no longer see her in the top five. It's very possible. Right. As for your albums chart, your Billboard 200, at number one is Encanto by various artists. Still. Coming in at number two, Back for Everything by Kodak Black, debuting at number two. True. And at three, Dangerous, the double album of Morgan Waller. I can't believe the ACMs gave him an award this week. (laughs) How dare they? Hey, at least they got it right with With Miranda. Miranda, yes, as Entertainer of the Year. New album. Uh, New Miranda album got announced. Yep. Uh, Coming in at number four, DS Forever by Gunna. Mm -hmm. And rounding at your top five, um, I did listen to this album. Maybe I did help it. (laughs) The the hits just keep on coming. The highlights by The weekend. Yeah. If you didn't like any of those albums, okay. we have new releases, All right. including Sink Into Me by Babe Heaven, <laughs> Crash, all caps, yeah. by Charlie XCX, yes, that yes. Charlie XCX, Motomami, 
Again, all caps <laughs> by Rosalia. And present tense by Yumizuma. Yeah, I'll probably check out the Charlie record. Uh, see how that's going. The singles have been all right. Singles have been all right. Um, so I'm excited to see what the record sounds like. All right. We'll get to that next week. Next time. But first, um, we have some new, uh, music news to get through. We do. Um, do we have to talk about TikTok? Uh, so in this case, it's an interesting thing that TikTok is doing uh, beyond the TikTok platform. Yes. So TikTok, which has had a measurable effect on music discovery, is now letting individual artists upload and make money from their songs directly in the app. Yeah. TikTok touted Sound On as an, quote, all-in-one platform for music marketing and distribution. The platform lets artists upload their music directly to TikTok and earn royalties when TikTok creators use the music in their own videos. The company, owned by internet giant ByteDance, um, said it is paying SoundOn creators 100% of the royalties for music in their first year and 90% after that, with no administrative fees. TikTok said artists will be compensated, quote, based on how often your music is used in TikTok videos, but didn't say specifically how much it'll pay per listen. Um, so, yeah, I want to talk about this story because it's interesting. TikTok is providing a place to actually have money directly to the artists that have their songs go viral on their platform. And because of how popular songs have been on TikTok, especially ones that have gone like huge and like charted because of their TikTok use, this seems like it could be very valuable for artists. That being said, is there a possibility that this goes the way of Spotify if the rate is not as high as that needs to be? Yes, of course, that's always a possibility. These big corporations often go that direction, don't necessarily have the artist's needs in mind when they create these numbers. But for now, having that 100% in the first year and 90 after that is a pretty good rate. And um, fingers crossed that this is artist-friendly enough that it makes sense for artists to use it. Because I think there's potential that this could be cool. Okay. Yeah, maybe. I mean, it does... I'd like to know the numbers. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. with Spotify, I think it's like a penny every 10 listens or something like yeah, that. Yeah, if that. So if yeah. that... If it's a reasonable amount of money, that could be a really big deal because when TikToks go viral, it's big. Right. I mean, they're, they're trying to cover the tracks here saying 100% of the royalties go to music. Mm, but how much is that? But how much is 100% of those royalties? <laughs> like, yeah, if you're going to do a year's worth of Bandcamp Fridays, how many people are buying, you know? Also, it's interesting that this story comes out in the wake of Bandcamp uh, uh, and its purchase uh, from right. Epic. Epic. And so it's not exactly the same thing. This isn't a storefront, no. but it's similar in the way that it is a way for artists to be paid directly for their music. So, yeah, we will wait and see on this one, but uh, it has at least potential to help some artists out. Looking for the next Justin Bieber out there. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Uh, so keep listening to us, but also get to dancing on TikTok? I guess so. I guess so. 
find new artists and help support them by doing yeah. TikTok dances. It'll get and also gives creators an incentive to support their favorite artists instead of just using whatever the trendy song is. It'll give them more of an incentive to be like, oh, but I want to help out this person because I know that they've uploaded their own song here through the Sound On platform. So no more Applebee's on a Friday night. Oh God, please, please, <laughs> please let make it end. Just make it stop. Or that stupid barbecue thing that's in every video right now it's some band called something in the barbecue something and it's literally every tiktok video now and i'm like i don't want to hear this song again in my life <laughs> anyway not until it hits the top five Ugh, I hope not. anyways our second music <laughs> story actually crosses over with the movie section yeah um as nirvana that Nirvana. Yes, that Nirvana, um, 90s grunge band Nirvana. Yeah, has a little bit of a comeback happening right now. Yeah, um, <laughs> thanks in part to Matt Reeses, yes. the Batman. Yes. So, when uh, it's kind of a similar reaction to when Prince was involved <laughs> with Tim Burton's 1989 version of <laughs> Batman. But even with the one... But only one song one instead song. of being an entire new score. Right. Uh, with the one oldie song being used instead of the entire new score, right. the new film is being identified with primarily one musician, thanks to Kurt Cobain's Something in the Way, appearing at prominent beginning and end points of the film, yeah. as well as being alluded to throughout the score. We should note, we have not seen The Batman. We will not be talking about The Batman quite yet. I'll be talking about it next week. Next Good chance week. I'm seeing it later ah. uh, after this podcast. Got it. Um... Yeah, so the gloomy sounding song is experienced something in a way of a comeback, even outside of theaters, uh, which is not surprising. Hmm. Uh, as of Friday afternoon, which is a week after the film's release, Nirvana's Something in the Way sits at number three on Spotify's daily rankings of the top 50 streaming songs in the U.S. with 803 <laughs> thousand plays for the day just behind the number one song glass animals yeah. and the number two song we don't care we don't talk about bruno so there's a possibility since the billboard charts are about if we don't care about bruno that's funny <laughs> <laughs> thank you uh variety for that wonderful typo that's um, how they get you to know that yeah. we're using variety yeah uh but anyway um this, since the hot 100 is always a week off is there a possibility we could maybe see some Nirvana in your top five next week, which is wild? Um, yeah, it's always a week off. Yeah, it's so, always a week off. So this will affect the next uh, yeah, Tuesday's so, numbers. Tuesday, right? Or Monday? Uh, Tuesday's numbers. Off, but, but Monday's box office, Tuesday's right. uh, billboard. But yeah, and so uh, it's a weird uh, time for this, but uh, apparently, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's I mean, happening. It's, what a movie can do. It's that 20-year cycle here in Toronto's, what, 25? Yeah, longer than roughly that. Roughly 30? 30 years. Is it 30? Oh, okay, so 30-year cycle. 90, Matt Reeves. 91. Yeah. 91. Yep. <laughs> so here here comes that cycle of Nirvana music and grunge music being used everywhere mm -hmm. because the people who created the Batman <laughs> and involved in the Batman grew yeah. up with that kind of sound, that kind of music, and it's influencing their scores so if you ever if you hear this uh something in the way being play, uh, played a little bit more lately now you know why anyway 
Anyway, not for something completely different. Oh, uh, uh, yeah, something yeah. completely different. Uh, I listened to an album. Did you listen to anything? Not really. Okay. Um. So had a busy day on music release Friday. Turns out. Let me make sure I got. <laughs> okay, so it's called Run Rose Run, not Rose Run. Uh-huh. Okay, yeah, I wrote that down. Wrong. All right. So, um, Dolly Parton, in conjunction yeah. with James Patterson, wrote a book. Called Run Rose Run. Hmm. Now, why am I mentioning a book <laughs> in music? Is this an album based on the book? This is indeed hey! Dolly Parton. So Dolly Parton wanted to write a book, but she like wants to write like a nonfiction book. So um, she got help from James Patterson to write kind of a country thriller about a. Star who moves to Nashville. And Wait, gets so it is a fiction up. book, not a non-fiction. Oh, yeah, it's a fiction book. <laughs> okay. I apologize to all our library friends out there. <laughs> <laughs> Some somewhere, Christy just got like a like a, a tingle in her spine. She was like, <laughs> anyway. Anyways, so she enlists the help of um, famous author, famous thriller author, right. James Patterson, yeah. uh, to help write this book called Run Rose Run. Okay. Have you read this? I have not read the book. <laughs> okay. But I did listen to an accompanying album because as Dolly Parton was kind of telling the story uh, to James Patterson to write and fleshing out the characters, she got inspired to write music about the characters and about the story. So in a way, this book is accompanied with its own soundtrack by Dolly Parton. Mm -hmm. And I listened to that soundtrack, Run Rose Run. And... This plays more like a musical accompaniment okay. to a Broadway play oh. than it does more to a book. All right. I can see a lot of these songs, especially if they're like basing it off the source material of the book, mm-hmm. easily transformed into a Broadway play or an off-Broadway play. Mm-hmm. The songs are good. The songs are catchy. The songs are personal. Yeah. And you have kind of like those traditional... The want songs, the struggle songs, the um, the contradiction songs, the villain songs. There's different uh, accompaniments in this album mm-hmm. that paints such a vivid picture that as I was listening to the album, I was like, oh, this I can see happening. this happening here with like on stage in a play or this is happening in the book or on a screen. Like it's done really well to, to where, yeah, it makes sense that she would write an album in addition to writing this book. Because she's the one dictating it, and because she, I don't say say that she speaks in lyrical formats, but because her typical method of writing is in music and country style, a lot of the music comes through that way, and I'm able to like see the story being told through the music without actually having read the book. I'm yeah. sure the book's great, <laughs> uh, but if you like that kind of if genre, you like that kind of genre. But yeah, no, that's that's that sounds like that it, it achieved the ideal thing it was trying to achieve is like Dolly just wanted something that felt like the book and felt like what was happening, this kind of story. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it sounds like she nailed it. Yep. There's some love stuff in it, there's some, some thriller stuff in it. There's a like an ode to fields of days gone by mm-hmm. kind you know, some typical country stuff. It does have the country and bluegrass album and feel to it. Uh, but what do you expect with Dolly Parton here? Right, right, right. Uh, that being said, 
don't be surprised if in five years you see this thing like an on broadway off broadway kind of take on it because the music's already there mm-hmm. the script is already there in the book you just gotta have someone put it together it's all right there right just put it together and put it in a play in nashville and let it sell tickets yeah it could happen it could happen all right um i expect by checking the mail for <laughs> <a second. laughs> maybe so Maybe. All right. Yeah, but I, cool. I liked it. Uh, give it a listen. Even if you're not into the book and you just want some type of like storytelling through an album, the, there you go. This is uh, Run Rose Run by uh, Dolly Parton. Mm-hmm. Cool. Great. Yep. All right. All right. I'll uh, we'll talk about Charlie XCX next, next week. week. So let's talk about video games. Video games. And we start with new releases. Um, with The Cruel King and The Great Hero for the PS4 and Switch. Mm-hmm. Grand Theft Auto V. Finally. Yes, you heard that right. Grand Theft <laughs> yeah. Auto V for the PS5 and Xbox Series X. Yes, those uh, next-gen versions are finally here after much talk. So, just so we're clear, this is a PS3 yes. game uh-huh. that went through a PS4 upgrade. Right. That's now on a PS5 upgrade. Correct. We'll talk a little bit about the pricing uh, later in the bits. Um, okay, I thought I was going to bring up. Yeah. There it is. Okay. Uh, we also have Phantom Breaker, colon, Omnia, for the PS4, Xbox One, Switch, and PC. Mm-hmm. Tunic for Xbox One, Xbox Series X, and PC. I believe that's a re-release of a Switch game. No, actually. Uh, what you might be remembering is that there was a demo out for this about a year ago. Yeah. And so there was some talk about it. This is like a Zelda-like with a little cute fox character. Right. This is finally getting its official release. Oh, so the official this release This is the official now. final So I thought this thing already today. came out. That's the thing, is that they've been talking about it so long and showing footage of it for so long. It seemed like it already came yeah, out. Yes, the Zelda like. No, this is the official release of Tunic this week. Okay. And lastly, Anno colon Mutation. Not lastly, there's a line. Okay. Oh, there's, <laughs> there's a, line. a line break. It splits. There's a line break. <laughs> so Anno colon Mutation for PS4, PS5, and PC. Mm-hmm. Monster Energy Super Cross 5. It's five of them. For uh, everything but the Switch. <laughs> Persona 4 Arena Ultimax for PS4, Switch, and PC. Yeah. And lastly... Your big release of the week, big release, kind of. Your big surprise release. Hey, you of. like chaos? Stranger <laughs> of Paradise, colon, Final Fantasy Origin. Yeah. For PS4, PS5, Xbox One, Xbox Series X, and PC. Everything but Switch. Everything but the Switch. This is the thing that they show, the kind of Western-esque looking Final Fantasy related action RPG. Um, It looks like tactics, though. Where all the the characters were just talking about chaos constantly. Yep. And the guy looked like he was fronting an emo band in 2008. That's this game. Finally coming out this week. (laughs) I have no idea whether this is going to be any good or not. I don't know. Should we should we put this on the GameFly queue? Should we give this a try? Well, I don't know. I question it. You're more of a square guy than I am. 
Yeah, but I currently have Kirby in my queue. I mean, yeah, I'm getting Kirby too, so... Well, see, because it's either going to be that or um, yeah. Tiny Tina. Well, I'm purchasing Kirby, so... I don't know. I don't know. This well, is like, I, I'm not getting Tiny Tina because I'm still working through right. uh, Horizon. Horizon. Yeah, so it's going to be I'm a while on Horizon for yeah. me. <laughs> anyway. Anyways, we'll get to that. Um, but let's get to some game bits here. Yeah. Some music, Some music. Video game bits. Uh, starting with Elden Ring. I haven't talked about Elden Ring, have I? No, you haven't. So, this has been, of course, the talk of the town, but we will definitely get there. I'll get my thoughts on Elden yeah. Ring in a bit here, but you don't need my words to say it, but it's already the best-selling game of 2022 oh, in yeah. the U.S. Um, it got 10 out of 10 across mm-hmm. the board. People are buying this game, and then people are experiencing <laughs> Maybe for the first time, what a Souls game is. And I think the sales numbers are interesting, considering that the narrative with the Souls games for a very long time was that one, that they were too Japanese to be mainstream mm-hmm. and too hard to be mainstream. So for a long time, the Souls series was seen as this very niche thing, not a mass market kind of product. Ellen Ring throws that in the garbage because these numbers prove that that narrative no longer counts. It's the the these games are now the mainstream. This has now become a big blockbuster series. I mean, it does help that it's um, written by George R. R. Martin. You know, it has a bunch of triple A behind there it. There is that, but that's the thing is, I feel like they haven't been leaning as hard as they could be on the George R. R. Martin angle mm-hmm. in marketing this game. I think the real story here is that the. Um, uh, the talk, the, the talk uh, of the, the streaming, word of the, mouth the word of has mouth. finally reached the critical mass that it was building towards, mm-hmm. and this is the one that broke the dam. You know, like so many people have talked up this series and talked up these games, these kinds of games, so long now, over a decade at this point, that it's finally came to a head, and now people are who are outside of the video game realm have somebody telling them about this game. It's finally happened. And so they've hit the big time because of it. So yeah, um, one note here. Um, Horizon didn't do badly either this month, but the reason why Elden Ring has an advantage is because it's multi-platform. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, the uh, even with millions upon millions of PS4s in the in the uh, in like in the environment, there's just way more total consoles and PCs for Elden Ring to have the advantage. However, Horizon did beat PlayStation sales of Elden Ring for the month. So if you've got a PlayStation, you're you playing... You probably bought Horizon, but you probably also bought Elden Ring, is what yeah. that means. So so there you go. But So yeah, congratulations to From Software. Uh, they have a hit on their hands. Like, period. This is not only going to be probably the best reviewed game of the year, it's probably going to be the best seller. Um, which means Elden Ring 2, more rings. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know that George R. R. Martin doesn't write more. <laughs> You know, he's done with that. He doesn't write new shit anymore. Anyway. Anyways. <laughs> uh, more news. Um, yes. The other day was Mario Day. Yeah. March 10th. Yep. Mar 10. Mar 10. <laughs> Mario. Yeah. Um, and Universal decided to announce that the Super Nintendo World would be opening in Universal Studios Hollywood next year in 2023 yeah it's already open in uh, universal yeah. studios japan. japan yes yeah this is uh of course been uh they've been working on it for a while 
It was originally supposed to be a pandemic, uh, like, year thing, but it got, of course, delayed because of the pandemic, and we had to wait to work on it. Uh, yeah, they're wrapping it up uh, construction-wise, and yeah, we'll open next year. Uh, it might be the thing that finally gets me to go to Universal Studios Hollywood for the first time in a while. Uh, let's see here. Last time I went was, I haven't even gone for um, Harry yeah. Potter World. Wow. Right, right. I saw that, at least. I mean, now there's you know, baggage a... with that, but but Mario is pure. There's nothing wrong with Mario. <laughs> So yeah, I'm excited to check it out. People who have been to the Japanese park say it's a it's a really neat thing. Mm-hmm. They do a lot of cool stuff. Yeah, uh, it might be the thing that gets me back there after several years. Okay, away. perhaps, perhaps. Yep. Uh, let's see here. Um, segwaying to Nintendo, um, they announced some delays to yeah. Advance Wars One and Two: Colon Reboot Camp due to the events in Ukraine. Not yeah. really want to set out a right. war based game. Uh-huh. In the middle of a war. Yeah, and, and this sucks for people who are really looking forward to this game, though. I just want to mention, because this is the second time it's been delayed. It was already delayed from last October to uh, this upcoming April. And now having it delayed indefinitely, uh, they don't know when they'll be okay, feel, feel comfortable releasing it. It's unfortunate for people who are fans of that series. But, yes, I agree uh, with the, uh, the choice here. It does make sense context-wise for to hold on to it for a little bit. So yeah, it's a question whether this game, when this game will come out at this point. Who knows? Uh, just a holiday release, probably. Maybe if things are better. If things are better, we don't know. We don't know, but um, helping to make things a little bit better, <laughs> indie devs have created a huge one thousand piece bundle to raise money for Ukraine. Yes, this is specifically referring to a bundle that's uh, for purchase on itch.io if you're not familiar. Oh, itch.io. Yeah, uh, if you're not familiar, itch is basically the bandcamp for video games. It's where indie creators can upload and uh, put up for sale their own independent games. Um, it's a favorite of mine. Back in 2020, they did one for Black Lives Matter that I donated to and got over a thousand games in that one too. It's a great deal, minimum download of t- or minimum payment of $10 to download all of them. However, you're, of course, encouraged to down- uh, to uh, donate more. So, yeah, uh, go ch- I believe that's still going, so go check that out if you want some a collection of a lot of indie games. Just so many. I think some of the more notable ones that are included, Celeste, uh, CrossCode, um, some more recent ones, too. That Celeste is on. a good one. I've seen it yeah, being sp- speedrun. Yeah, Celeste is a favorite. Uh, but yeah, a um, lot of great games on there and for a very low price and for a good cause. So go check that out. I believe they passed a million dollars already and they're going for two. Nice. Uh, yeah, that's on itch.io. Yeah. Um, and then also some uh, bad news, I guess, <laughs> around the world. Eight more women accused PlayStation of sexism. So with all the big story about Activision last year, something got that got lost a little bit in the shuffle was that PlayStation also had a similar class action lawsuit mm-hmm. against them. Some women had accused the company of sexual uh, misconduct and um, unequal treatment. Recently, though, uh, more women came up to basically uh, co- co- corroborate on these claims. Um I believe the only one I remember, the statement that I remember that comes to mind first uh, from one of these women is that um, they made it very difficult for breastfeeding, uh, often uh, relegating women to like a locked closet door mm. to breastfeed inside instead of giving like actual, like a nice room to do it. 
So, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's really lousy sounding stuff. I hope this adds fuel to the fire of this class action lawsuit. And it's important to remember, it's not just Activision. These problems are all over the industry, even Sony. So just, yeah, just uh, we'll keep an eye on that one, see how that goes. Yeah, uh, did we skip, um, I don't remember how long ago it was, the PlayStation executive um, child sting? Oh, jeez. Like no, we talked about... Month? I think we talked about ago? it a few months ago. But oof. Yeah, that's also in there, too. Yeah, so it's just a, it's a lousy time right now. they got to figure something out. Yeah. Anyway. Anyways. Um, from PlayStation Studios, however, yeah. Guerrilla Games announced that Horizon Forbidden West will get a new patch that yeah. adds over 50 bug fixes and improvements. So this is already up as of last week. I mm-hmm. checked it out. One of the weird things I had read about it is not only did it fix a bunch of bugs, but apparently they also made the vegetation look better in performance mode on PS5. <laughs> Which I was like, is that true? And I, I put it in performance mode. I was like, you know what? It does look a little sharper. Yay. Um, so yeah, um, it's good to know that they're constantly working on uh, things that the fans are pointing out that's mm-hmm. wrong with the game. Looks like some uh, critical mission-related bugs have been fixed as well. So people who maybe... We're stuck on some later missions. Um, we'll no longer be stuck. Yeah, I'm currently stuck on one mission Ooh. where uh, I need to talk to the guy. Uh-huh. But he's in a rock. He's in a rock? He's in the rock. He's he got in a rock. Put, he got blasted and pushed into the rock. And then he's just like standing there or sitting there. I think I read somebody who had this problem. Yeah. You might be able to break that rock. Uh, maybe. Because that's, I think I, I read... I read something about, like, no, you should be able to break that rock. Okay. So try breaking the try rock. Try breaking the rock. Or maybe it's a bug. I don't know. Maybe. I can't tell you. Okay. <laughs> anyway. Oh, I, don't know. I tried, like, going to a different part of the map and coming uh, back and hopefully it'll reset did, it. He didn't get out of that rock. No, he didn't get out of the rock. Yeah, I heard that there is one instance where there's somebody in a rock and you can potentially break it. Okay. So maybe try that. Anyway. Anyways. <laughs> uh, Atari. Yes, that Atari has yeah. acquired... A game database, Moby Games, for yes. $1.5 million. Have you ever been and used Moby Games as a resource? I don't think so. Yeah, I didn't think so. It, I have, but that was a long time ago because it's kind of an old institution. So this was basically a site that people used to go to to find out what release dates for old games were, as well as like people who developers who specifically developer names that worked on games. This was basically a database to see like, who worked on this and when did it come out and what platforms was it on? IMDb for video games. Basically, that was the idea. However, uh, their database kind of got stagnant over the last decade and so use of it has gone down precipitously. One note is that in the time between Moby Games' prevalence and now, Giant Bomb happened and also built their own database and mm-hmm. arguably a better one. So Moby Games kind of has not been on the tip of people's tongues in the last decade or so. And so this is an interesting investment for Atari. Atari, you know, they might not be the best uh, business in the world right now. They seem to invest in all sorts of shit that doesn't work out, like cryptocurrencies and hotel chains and speaker hats um, and, and consoles that nobody buys. Uh, but this is an interesting one because it, they seem like they actually do want to help Moby Games existing staff make their product better. They're going to completely redo uh the database uh and their website redesign it for the first time in over a decade so it'll be neat to see if it'll be usable again in an imdb style fashion we'll see all right so now let's wrap back around to 
what we mentioned with GTA 5 yes. being available on PS5 and Xbox Series X. So, price point. Yeah. Um, you know, for a three generation old game now. Mm-hmm. Currently sets at $10 on PS5 and $20 <laughs> on the Xbox Series X. You're probably going like, that seems cheap, especially for Rockstar. You'd think that they, if they were going to re-release GTA V again, they would want that full price. And I think this move is interesting for a couple of reasons. One, I feel like a little bit of it, this is damage control after the GTA trilogy uh, release went so badly for them. And two, I think it's smart because what they really want you to do is put all your money into GTA Online. I thought I saw that it was supposed to be split. That you that you um, that it was like you had the base game and then the online was separate. So no, uh, not on PlayStation, I believe. Okay. Include yeah, the PlayStation version will include both story mode and GTA Online. The Xbox Series X one though, uh, I. I thought maybe that was different, but maybe not. However, GTA Online looks like it's going to be free until June 14th. So if you just want online, that's actually a free-to-play download. Mm-hmm. Um, anyways, though, this all ends in June, uh, this price point. After June 14th, um, they'll go to about $40. And GTA Online will be, by itself, also $20. So if you're interested in all of these games and maybe uh, like, and you want to get it early... You will benefit from getting it early by paying a, a cheaper price. It may get me the, be the thing that gets me to actually buy it. Do you though? Do but you I would not actually play, play it. That's the thing. Is like it's twenty twenty two. Do you actually want to play the campaign for GTA five? Well, I've never actually like fully sat down and played any yeah. GTA game ever. Oh wow. Okay. Like um, I, I've played bits and pieces like here and there for maybe twenty minutes at a time, but never like a full fledged story mode game for GTA. I mean, five probably would be the one to start with, but it depends on whether you actually want to carve out time to play a GTA. No, because I'm currently enjoying my time with Horizon. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah. Um, but it's interesting that they're doing such a low price for a company that's not known for uh, catering to an audience. So, right. <laughs> it's just, yeah, it's fascinating to me. And um, I guess if you ever want to try these games, this is the time to do so. Um. Or, you know, all those people who just turned 13 and <laughs> want to play it. Maybe. 13 is too young. I'm, I, maybe 17. <laughs> well, yeah, try saying that they're 13 and they want to play it. You know, when the game first came out and they couldn't play it. Uh, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. Anyway. Anyways. All right. So, did you play anything? Uh, just more Horizon. Uh, I'm pretty much in the same place that I was the last time we talked, except for I finished that mission. And I've literally just been doing side side quests since because they overloaded me with side shit. Oh, there's a, a ton of side quests. Yeah. All of a sudden where I'm at in this game, it's like all of a sudden, okay, time all the all the side shit. So I haven't even started getting the three AIs yet because I've been doing all the side shit before I get there. So oh. I'm like level twenty like five for a level seventeen quest now for the main storyline, and like I'm like gonna be so overpowered for those. See, I I went and did all those three kernels. Oh, okay immediately i went uh, by everything and then i went back and started doing side quests yeah you talked about but this that, last week or but two weeks ago then yeah. i got to the point where i'm i don't want to do any more side quests. i don't care about the side quests so i tried to yeah. right go back to mainline the game and now i'm kind of upset that i didn't do what you did because i did run into a couple of side quests that i could not complete because i don't have the water thing yet yeah and i was like ah man i have to go back to this thing 
But it's also helped me get it's a really nice thing of armor right now that I'm really kitted out. So yeah, it's, it's why I mean that's why I went and like mainlined it because I wanted the water thing and I wanted the um uh the like igniter sparker thing. Yeah, I well. got that. But oh, no, there's a third one. Too. Yeah. Oh, there's a, okay. Yeah, there's more to it. All right. Well, but yeah, uh, I'm still enjoying it. Um, it's. Not to the point, I'm still not getting to the point where everybody who reviewed this game says like it got repetitive. I'm still not feeling the rep- repetition. I still feel like there's enough of a variety of things to do that I'm not feeling bogged down by it. I think even the side stuff, narrative-wise, is interesting. I think, like, I just w- ran into a side mission where at the end it actually makes you choose a side and somebody lives and somebody dies. And I was like, this is pretty cool. I didn't expect this happening in this game. Um, and so, yeah, it was. It, there, there's a lot of neat stuff in the edges of this game that I'm keep to, con, like that I'm continuing to find. And also, I kitted out Aloy, and she looks really cool right now. I got like a cool set of armor. I dyed Did it. Dye it. Yeah. I dyed it. I got face paint. Yes. Like, there's so many cool things about this game, and yeah, I'm having, I'm still having a great time with it. And it looks like I have a lot more to go. Like I looked at, zoomed out of the map, and I've still got so much I haven't oh, seen. Oh yeah. See, I wanted to like kind of fill out that map and then go back and fill it <laughs> yeah. out. Yeah. So I got to the end and like, oh, like yes, new place. Let me go to the shop and buy stuff. And like, oh, you're missing this thing, this thing, this thing. Right. You don't have enough fruits. I'm like, because because I do the thing where my... you make those jobs. Huh? Have you done the thing where you make that a job? Oh no. So what that I does do that. is it makes you in the mission. Yeah. And so I did that for. Um, the kitted out legendary. Well, see, uh, I need to do that for bow, a bunch of the pouches. Yeah, for the pouches, I need to do that. But but I want to do it for uh, purple bow because I didn't have a purple bow yet. Right. I have a purple armor now, but I don't have a purple bow. So I just it's got like, purple bow. I made it a mission to find the thing, and I guess it's a it's a kind of uh, robot that I'm not going to see for a while. And I'm like, oh man. Yeah, I just so, got a purple bow and a purple nice. Uh, slingshot. Nice, nice, nice. Yeah, uh, just. Still having a whole lot of fun with that game. It's like, yeah. it's my forever game right now. I don't know when I'm yeah. ever going to stop playing it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, at this point, I'm, someone wants me to stop playing it. <laughs> I bet. I bet. <laughs> um, I think Kirby will be the only thing that will incite it, and I don't know how long Kirby will have a hold on me. So we'll right. See. Ooh. That's pretty. So, because I've been playing a lot of that, I've had very limited time to jump into Elden Ring. Yeah, so... It's time. It's time to talk about Elden talk Ring. Talk about Elden Ring, the thing that nobody can shut up about. I will shut up about it because, <laughs> um, so having never played a Souls right. game, yeah, I don't know what I'm getting myself into with no. this game. And apparently, um, these developers just hate people. <laughs> they hate tutorials. They hate telling you what to do. They hate giving you any direction. They hate maps. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. It's just, hey, run free and make up the story as you go. Yeah. And for some people, they like that. And for uh-huh. some people, it's fine. Um, I, I get lost easily. I need waypoints. I need to know where I'm going. I need objectives. And I need to stop running into huge-ass bosses every single <laughs> like corner I run into. But that's what this game is. But that's what this game is. Yeah. That's what Elden Ring is. It takes the formula from the souls where you're going to run into these big bad bosses and you're going to bang your head dying 10, 15 times until you figure out the pattern (laughs) to actually beat them. Yeah. 
I don't want to waste my time <laughs> dying 15 times just to beat this boss and get to the next portion of it. So what I've been doing is running to a boss. Okay, run in the opposite direction. Uh, yeah, yeah. Run to another boss here. Okay, run to the opposite direction. What's over here this time? Right. Run to this boss, run to the opposite direction. Anyway, <laughs> I can run past the bosses and not like have to deal with them. And then there's sections where like it'll like close off the gates. Like you have to beat the boss if you right. want to progress. Right. And I hate that. Yeah. Because I'll get in there, I'll get one or two shotted, and be like, okay, that was dumb. I just wasted ten minutes there. <laughs> Let me try again. Oh, I didn't get any further. I just wasted another ten minutes. I do that, bang my head six times. I've wasted <laughs> half an hour getting nowhere. So I'm like, screw this. I'm gonna go somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And I haven't found a place to, like, level up my stuff or anything. I haven't found the village. I haven't found any map. I haven't found... Like, I've been running into, like, a bunch of, like, little guys everywhere, which I can, at this point, like, um, combo kill. Yeah. Not one-shot kill yet, but combo kill. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. So I can take on the little guys, but anytime I run into a big guy, I have to immediately run the opposite direction because I'll just die immediately. So, yeah, what you're touching on here has actually been the discourse of that on Twitter, on gaming Twitter in the last couple of weeks. There seems to be these camps that have developed about open world games. And it seems like they're on one side you have the people who love Elden Ring and everything that it's doing. It's very much like, oh, the exploration is the point. The challenge of the bosses is makes it interesting. Also, the freedom of the open world means that you can do what you're doing, which is like, oh, if this is too hard... You can literally go and do something else. And this is something that the Souls games traditionally have not offered. So the fact that this one does that, it's actually a little bit more user-friendly, believe it or not, than the series has ever been. Then you have the other camp that's kind of developed specifically with Horizon as a touchstone, but also larger the Ubisoft-designed open-world games, making the argument is, but what about the UI? You can't tell what's happening. The game is very... Or talking about Elden Ring. The game is uh, very vague about informing you about things. I prefer a game, kind of like what you're saying, that has waypoints, has very clear mission indicators, has very clear maps, and gives me a little helping hand when I about what's interesting in the world instead of having me find out. Here's how bad it was. <laughs> it took me about three hours to figure out how to use my healing items. Wow, okay, all right. That's because of the tutorial on... on how yeah. to equip them, where to get them, how to pick them up. It's just, it took me so long to like, oh, yeah. that's how I use it. Like, I see it there, I press it, and then it goes away. Yeah. Like, no, you press and hold. I tried different things. I tried to press the different combinations. Right. But that is frustrating when you're mm-hmm. trying to figure something out. And Yeah, and I agree, and that's the thing. But I think what's happening, though, with this discourse is that it's gotten dark in a way because you have people on both camps being like, you're thing is garbage because my thing is better is kind of what's happening because the internet's the internet right right so what i want don't what i want to make clear is is that i think we can agree that Elden ring is probably very well made a game oh it, it does, looks beautiful it plays yeah, smoothly and it does the thing that a lot of people want it to do is it for us maybe not maybe we just happen to be the people that glom on to the horizon model a little bit more maybe that's a little bit more our speed and um, that should be okay. So what I want to say to make clear here is that even though we may be, may appear like we're making a choice here and being like Horizon just to, to us is a game that j- we jive with, and mm-hmm. Elden Ring maybe not isn't that game. 
want to make it clear that in no way are we disparaging Elden Ring, and in no way we're saying that it's a lesser game. It's just a different style of game. It's a style of game that many people argue existed in the 80s in the 8-bit era and disappeared and now has had a resurgence because of the Souls games. It's a game that literally is about pattern recognition and exploration. Is those two things. It is about going and finding something and when you do, having a little bit of a challenge like combat-wise to figure out what the approach is to correctly beat the boss. Right. The problem is how much time are you willing right. to spend trying to figure out how to beat that boss. Yeah. If my time's limited to, like, I work eight hours, I have other other responsibilities, and I'm only playing video games for maybe an hour or two a night, Mm -hmm. or, like, every every third night. It's going to be hard to get that groove. Yeah. It's going to be hard to find that, like, that actual ramp up where you're learning. The other thing I think is maybe a key, key to enjoyment for this game, from what I've heard from people who really love it, is it's it's a it's a game best enjoyed with other people who are playing it at the same time as you for two reasons one outside of the game world it's a good resource for like to be like oh hey friend have you also encountered this do you know how to use your uh, use the the health pickups let me know because i can't figure it out it's good to have a community playing around you so that way you can bounce off each other about things you're finding out questions that you have and like the mysteries kind of are unfolding among a group of people instead of just you, instead of you just banging your head as you're describing now, there something is, you don't understand. But there is a way to communicate that message across to other people, yeah, and that notes, is yeah. leave little message and notes. However, there's such a community that makes yeah. jokes everywhere. Like, hey, <laughs> you don't know I, what to believe. I don't know what to believe. Like, right. tunnel this way. I'm running into a wall. Yes. Like, <laughs> ju- jump off here and uh, I die. You die. So I've just, <laughs> I've just decided to leave notes every time yeah. I uh, come across a body that allows me to pick something up. Right. I just leave a note that says, why is it always a corpse? <laughs> and I've just left, like, every yeah, time I see a corpse, why is it always a corpse? Why is it always a corpse? Why is it always a corpse? So the other half to that community thing is also an actual game mechanic in the game. You can summon someone to help you in a boss fight. Apparently, there is a group of people, for some stupid reason, who think this is the wussy way to play, and are saying, like, no, you should be able to do it yourself, solo bosses. However, from the people who I actually trust who really like this game, they're saying, don't listen to those haters. The game is almost designed on purpose for you to get help for those bosses. Mm -hmm. So do not, if you are at home struggling with this game, do not be afraid to summon, because it's very helpful to have somebody help you, especially somebody who has perhaps already played that boss and know the trick. So that that way you can learn while playing from the person you're playing with Mm -hmm. about the right approach, and they can help you, and then you can level up from their success to get to the point where you're strong enough to tackle the next thing. So don't be afraid. Don't let people, the haters on the internet, scare you. Don't be afraid to get help on this game, whether it is asking people or actual game mechanics summoning in to help. So here's the kind of reverse of that. Yeah. I, I watched someone do a playthrough. It was just the uh-huh. highlights of it. But so there's the first boss that you meet when you get to the open world, and that's the guy on the horse. Uh huh. Yes. Everyone encounters the yes. guy on the horse. And, uh, and the thing about that guy is if you go up in at the beginning of the game and try to fight him, you will lose. So I watched a highlight <laughs> video of yeah. a guy who did specifically that. Yes. He spent eight hours uh-huh. 
to eventually beat that boss. Right. I'm like, yes, you feel really accomplished. Good job. But it's eight hours. I yeah. spent eight hours banging my head against the boss, or I spent eight hours <laughs> in Horizon right. and get like four like quests and a bunch of side yeah. missions and upgrade my armor and stuff and feel actual sure. progress. But I think a fan of Elden Ring would also argue, though, you can also do that in Elden Ring. You don't have to beat that guy. Right. He just happens to be one of the first things you see. What you're supposed to do is you're supposed to realize, oh, I can't do that yet. I'm going to do a bunch of other shit. Come back to that guy later. And that's that, That's what the game wants you to do. It's just that, unlike Horizon, it doesn't tell you any of this. Right. It implies things for you to figure out yourself. It implies that you can yeah. run away from this guy. So if you're somebody who would but rather a game... you're going to run into right. him no matter what. Yeah, so if you're somebody who just naturally would rather a game tell you, don't do this yet, then you might like Horizon more. Mm-hmm. But if you're somebody who actually thinks that's an interesting, like, who thinks it's an interesting little wrinkle to an open world game, maybe Elden Ring's for you. And that's the thing, is that there's going to be two different kinds of camps here. So, anywho. Anyways. Yeah, if you like that open world exploration, no one tell me what to do. I make my own story. <laughs> um, Elden Ring, give, it's there. Give it's it a there, shot. Yeah. People love it. If, if you want some direction in an open world game, there's Horizon. There's a Ubisoft. There's a, yeah. it's not There's other games in that model. Yeah. I think both of them are good. Both of them are doing the thing that they want to do, and they're doing it very, very well mm-hmm. for two different reasons. And uh, yeah, it's just that you have to figure out where your play style uh, lands and what you are more comfortable playing. And whatever that is, whatever decision you make, be confident in it. Don't let anybody tell you you're wrong. That's yeah. how I feel. Anyway. Anyways. Um... One last thing, um, yes. not in but about Elden Ring, but just in video game general news. Yu-Gi-Oh! Master Duel, available on <laughs> uh, Android and iOS yes. devices now. So yeah. it's out on everything. You can sync everything up. Um, with those launches, you'll get a bunch of extra gems because they need certain milestones and stuff, giveaways. But it's there. Um, mm. The definitive Yu-Gi-Oh! card dueling game yeah. that they want to say is definitive until they come out with a new version <laughs> in 10 years. <laughs> Um, is out of everywhere now. It's free to play, but that being said, there is a bunch of loot boxes and buying gems and stuff that you can yeah. invest in. Wake me up when the Pokemon one comes out in a month or so. <laughs> Beta starts in Canada this month Ooh. for the new Pokemon trading card uh, thing. And Is uh, that one called Pokemon Masters? No, it's uh, <laughs> I think it's called Pokemon TCG Live, okay. the new one. Um, that's supposed to launch sometime this year. So I'm waiting for that one, because that's the card game I know how to play, <laughs> unlike Yu-Gi-Oh. Anyway, hey, move on. Yeah, let's move on uh, from video games yes. into television. Oh, real quick, I, I just to mention, I was right that I that I completely cold-dropped Puzzle Quest 3 after last week. Yeah. I couldn't do it anymore. I was like, I am done uh, being on this treadmill for a game I don't even like to play. So, poop on that. Anyways, let's... Uh, okay, yes. yes. Um, real quickly, because <laughs> yeah. I wasn't here last week. Yeah. Uh, Pokemon, Scarlet, Violet. I actually like yeah, those names. Yeah, yeah. It's good names. Um, okay, which, what's your starter? Who are you starting with? Um, well, I don't know. Grass Kitten looks pretty good. Yeah, I like Sprigatito. I'm Team Sprigatito. Um, I don't know. But Goku is pretty cute. Yeah, I want to see the, um, the, evolved. the, the evolved forms. Yeah, we'll get I want to see the evolved forms. 
Anyway, mm-hmm. now let's move on to the other half of the show, television. And we always start television with the sports corner. Sports corner. And we begin at the sports corner with some exciting news. After weeks upon weeks of debate upon back and forth uh, between the, t- the league and the players association. Day 99 lockout. days of a baseball lockout. It is over. Officially, Major League Baseball is back. Spring training will now start uh, next week on March 18th. Opening day will now be April 7th. It will be a full season. No games uh, from the current from the official season have been canceled. And uh, well, the, they were canceled, but they're going to be switched over moved. to e- move to right. either be double headers now right. or taking place of off days. So yeah, schedules are up for your team. So check that out. Part of some of this deal uh, included some new rule changes that we made, uh, mentioned in passing in the previous uh, weeks talking about this. The National League will officially adopt the designated hitter rule, making it universal. And the extra runner during the extra innings that was introduced in the 2020 and 2021 seasons will be removed. It's back to uh, just normal play in extra innings mm-hmm. uh, starting in 2022. 2023, we'll see more changes that the league wants to see including a pitch clock, limits on defensive shifts, potential potential banning of the shift entirely, but mm-hmm. that's to be determined, larger physical bases, which I think is hilarious, and some expanded use of the automated ball slash strike system, not fully automated, almost, but at least in a shared system. So as we mentioned on previous podcasts, that a lot of this will be tested out in the minors and triple A's mm-hmm. bef- and then seeing how that works this year yeah. to be possibly implemented the following year. Right. There is a committee based off of owners, current players, former players, and umpires yeah. to make those decisions during the um, in between this season and next season. Right. The important note here, of course, uh, beyond baseball being back and all these rule changes being in effect, also important to note that this lockout got solved because the players actually were stubborn enough to get what they wanted. Like, that's the narrative here. Every step of the way, the narrative was coming out that the league was trying to make themselves look better by saying, well, the players are not letting us play baseball. When what's actually happening is the players were slowly wearing the owners down to finally get the cap where they needed it to be. Mm-hmm. And they, they are the real winners here. The players came out on top. Yep, the players got the increase in minimum salary. Yes. They got the increase in uh, bonus pay. Mm-hmm. They got the increase in, uh, what was it? Um, not, not residuals, what was it? The uh, retirement right. account. And the league didn't get a lot of the stuff that they were banding about that they were that the players hated, including some changes to the draft. Yep. Uh, but also... Yeah, uh, also uh, five years now, yes, contracts instead right. of seven. Uh, the other big uh, rule change uh, is, uh, has to do with playoffs being expanded. You will now have a twelve-team playoff. So, yep. end, so October is going to look a little different. Uh, but besides that, uh, the season will go as uh, as planned according to this yep. new schedule. With the twelve-team playoff, there is yep. no hundred sixty-third game play-in right. game anymore. Right. Um, instead, it'll just be based on the record and strength of schedule. Yes. So yeah, um, if you're a fan, this is exciting news. 
If you're a fan, there's some not-so-exciting news, though, depending on how much money you want to pay for streaming services, as one of the other things that happened this week is that the League made deals with all of their uh, TV so like uh, teams, or TV um, companies, their distributor, distributors. Uh, they made specifically deals with Apple and Peacock this, uh, this week, finalizing deals to stream Sunday games on Peacock and Friday games on Apple TV+. So in order to see every single possible game that, you'll, that you want to see, you will ultimately have to sign up for those services. Unlike the YouTube game, there's no free option here. You will have to pay for those. Yep. Even uh, with your local regional sports network, it, it will, will be blocked out. They will not carry yeah. it. Just like when a game is on Fox for a night or ESPN for a night, it's not on your local. Same thing here. Mm-hmm. So yeah, uh, it's interesting, and uh, it, there's a possibility for an interesting uh, version of these games. As I don't know how uh, Peacock or um, Apple TV will present baseball games. It'll be interesting to see what their interpretation of it is. Then also in sports this week, baseball lost uh, lost a, uh, a signature voice as he's moving over to football. Joe Buck storied uh, sportscaster uh, will now be the new face of Monday Night Football for ESPN, moving out of his Fox deal. Not only that, but breaking news. Oh, breaking news. As of the half hour ago, (laughs) Troy Aikman is also making the move from Fox Sports to (laughs) ESPN's Monday Night Football. So it's going to be the two of them now? Yeah. Wait, what happens? Who gets the Fox now? Yeah. What happens to Fox then? Also, who was uh, who was the previous uh, Booger Booger McFarland? Yeah, and uh, who was he with? Uh, was Al Michael still doing it? No, no. Yeah, who are they replacing then? I mean, one. Why would you break up that team? <laughs> yeah, but also, yeah, you get one. I mean, there was talks of them both going to Amazon through the Thursday games, right, but I guess not. But no. Oh, there you go. Anyway, so yeah, so if you're a football, uh, a Monday Night Football person, you'll notice some new new voices coming in, but uh, some familiar new voices. Yes, or you can just tune into the Manning cast and get <laughs> the hilarious voices. Yes, that's what you really want. And then, meanwhile, it is March, and it is mad, so you know what that means. Selection Sunday is this week, tomorrow, as of this recording, Sunday the 13th. Yep, we're so currently... Get ready. The games are currently being played as we speak. Yes. Uh, the final playing games, final championship games, conference championship games. Winners get automatic bids into March Madness yes. NCAA tournament. And we actually have potentially a horse in this race as our alma mater is on the precipice. Yes. My alma mater is playing my doctor's alma mater. <laughs> yeah. Ooh. <laughs> Graduate alma mater. So, a yeah. A bit of a grudge match. May watch that game. May... One of us will be cheering. Either way, the one of them will represent the yeah. Big West. Very exciting. Automatic bids. Yeah, very exciting. So we'll see what happens with that. Yeah. Anything else in sports before we move on to television? Uh, there's a couple big QB changes in yes. the world of football, if you have not heard. Aaron Rodgers signed a uh, four-year, $200 uh, million dollar deal with the Packers. Disgusting. Going back to him. Disgusting. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think that's... About fifty million a yeah. year, but yeah, congratulations to that. Yeah. Russell Wilson, yeah. of the former Seattle Seahawks, <laughs> is now the current quarterback for 
the Denver Broncos. Yep. Um, in a like, in a two team trade where it's like uh, Russell Wilson and a six round pick for three players and four picks, <laughs> which is like a total lopsided trade. Yeah, what the hell? Um, and lastly, Deshaun Watson. News from yesterday, Friday's court hearing, mm-hmm. that the judge will not be moving forward with the case. Deshaun Watson will not face any criminal examination in the courts, meaning he is now available to go to any NFL team. Uh, Currently, the Carolina Panthers are looking at acquiring him. Okay. And finally... Uh, in uh, depending on who you talk to, good news for me, bad news for some. <laughs> uh, Carson Wentz, former quarterback of the Indianapolis Colts, is now the new commander in charge oh. of the Washington the Commanders. commanders. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, is that team's name now? Yes, it is the Washington <laughs> Commanders. Uh, I'd like to think that they were in the hunt for either. Um, Rodgers or Wilson to get an established franchise quarterback for their newly renamed team. Right. But somehow they settled on Carson Wentz. Yeah, what are you going to do? I mean, what are you going to do is they are going to change your odds of winning the Super Bowl from ah. plus 6,000 <laughs> to plus 75,000. <laughs> they went down. Damn. Well, I mean, hey, you know, any any quote-unquote new team has a rough first season. It's just natural. I'm just happy because he got out of Indianapolis and we can actually pursue an actual yeah. quarterback now. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, anything else in sports before we move on? Um, there's a big uh, sports entertainment injury that happened last night during SmackDown. Oh. Big E. Oh, no. Um, I actually know who that is. Yes. <laughs> uh, media boat favorite, Big E. <laughs> household favorite, Big yes. E. Yeah. Injured during Friday night SmackDown <laughs> in a move. Um, he uh, broke his neck. Ouch. Um, he posted to Instagram that he's able to move all of his digits, uh, so he's not okay. fully paralyzed. That's good. But he is in the hospital after a move gone wrong. Damn. They took him out on the stretcher. Does mean he's not going to compete for WrestleMania anytime soon. Uh-huh. After we filled that slot. But um, hopes for a speed recovery. Yeah. He did take it to... Um, like I said, to Instagram, to post a video. Um, he's able to move everything. He's able to talk. But the doctor did say that he broke his neck. Um, we have seen this kind of injury before. Most notably with the rated R superstar. Uh, not Seth Rollins. I don't want to say Seth Rollins. <laughs> uh, but The Edge. Yeah. Um, who broke his neck and was able to come back to compete. So mm-hmm. there is a road to recovery. Or okay. these types of injuries. That's good. You hate to see it happen. Oh, for sure. You hate to see it reported about it, but these are injuries that do happen, even if you want to say wrestling is fake. <laughs> Point to these injuries and say, does that look fake to you? Yeah, there's some elements that are not, unfortunately. Yes. So, yeah. Well, we wish him a speedy recovery. Yep. All right, let's move on then into television news. And this is a crossover. Yeah, we have a little bit of a crossover uh, because, hey, 
There's uh, a lot of uh, people's favorite scores of the last 10 years have been made by one man, Michael Giacchino. We talked about him a lot here on the podcast because of that. Well, the Oscar-winning composer is now turning to directing. He has announced his first project to direct Marvel's Untitled Halloween special, which is currently being referred to as Werewolf by Night, which will premiere on Disney+. Gail Garcia Bernal and Laura Donnelly are starring in the one-hour story. With stories with sources believing that Bernal is playing, hey, a werewolf. What do you know? With that title? The titular werewolf. The source material is from a Marvel comic from the 1970s that is best known for introducing the hero Moon Knight, who, of course, is getting his own Disney Plus series very soon. Yes, uh, the premiere for Moon Knight is at the end of the month. We'll talk about that yeah. when we get there. Yeah, but good for Michael Giacchino. Spreading out. Spreading yes. his wings a little bit. Yeah. Uh, Directing. Yeah, uh, trying something new. He recently did the score for The Batman. Yep. So uh, this is a neat next move for him. Uh, before that, you, he's done work for Pixar, for yes. Disney Animation. He specifically won his Oscar Marvel, for the for... score for Up. Yep, he's done for Marvel, for Star Wars. Yeah. Um, for a bunch of their live action stuff. Like we talk about it all the time. Yeah. And yeah, officially directing now. You, you love to see uh, somebody uh, really trying out all his options in his life. So congratulations. Yep. Uh, definitely have um, putting in those calls to Disney saying, hey, yeah. I want to direct something. Hey, I want to try this out. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, let's move into some bids as we got some other wrap up stories to talk about. Little quick hits for you. Some television bits. First up, Keenan Thompson has hit a SNL milestone. He has had 1,500 sketches on the show over his career there. So congratulations, Keenan. Keep killing it. Next up, somebody not killing it as much, Jesse Smollett has been sentenced to 150 days in jail and 30 months probation. This, of course, is uh, finally his uh, sentencing for uh, his uh, life. Yeah, hoax that he created over a hate crime that did not occur. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, finally getting his punishment for that fiasco. Next up, Obi-Wan Kenobi, uh, the Disney Plus series coming soon. The teaser trailer has been revealed. First footage of that. Lots of sand. And uh, a lot of people pointing out that it looks a lot like the prequels. Apparently the prequels are back in vogue over at Disney. Uh, not only that, but they're taking some characters from those pre- yeah. from the prequels from the star wars clone wars from dave filoni once again bringing his yeah. toys into a live action universe there you go he loves to do that next up production on ted lasso season three has officially started that yes. will of course premiere on apple tv plus later this year yes yes excited Looking forward to wrapping that story up next up hbo max has ordered a penguin series the character of the penguin of course from the batman series Based on the success that the character had in the current The Batman movie. Yep, uh, the Penguin was played by Colin Farrell, so yes. like his HBO Max series. This is similar to what Peacemaker did, yeah. uh, following Recently. Suicide Squad recently. Uh, there's also talks of a Gotham PD show mm-hmm. coming to HBO Max, also based off The Batman. Neat. That could happen. Next up, a little crossover. Uh, just yes. real note there that uh-huh. this... The Batman is very different right. from Ben Affleck's Batman, yes. which is the DCEU version. Different thing. Very different thing. Uh, next up, a little crossover with the video game section. A God of War TV show is an early development over at Prime Video. 
Prime Video recently has made a lot of video game related deals, also confirming that they have a show in the works in the Bioshock universe. Yep. So God of War uh, follows in the footsteps of that. Quick note, if you're a fan of sci-fi's The Expanse, slash Netflix, I believe it landed on there at some point, mm-hmm. um, the creators from The Expanse will be jumping to this right after they finish up the rant run of The Expanse this year. So uh, if you are a fan of them you'll and you trust their creative instincts, they're the ones helming the God of War show. And you, you, you know I love my Greek mythology. <laughs> yeah. It's killing all the gods, so. The question is, do they just do a straight-up adaptation of that God of War PS4 game? Or do they do something else in that universe? Uh, so do they do Vikings, is basically what I'm I don't asking. think they need to do Vikings. I think they okay. do go from the origins of the story. They do the Greek They do stuff. the Greek. They do the Greek stuff. They do the Greek. All right. I think it could be interesting. I think God of War is a very, because it's a very story-heavy franchise, mm-hmm. um, there's a lot to dig into. It also ties in a lot of lore and plot points yeah. from Greek mythology, Woven really well, I might yes. add. So. In the, in the, uh, I mean, would I rather have a Hades show? Yes, but yeah, I'll take this. Would you rather have a Hades Town show? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen Hades Town yet. Maybe after I see it. And then lastly, in the TV bits here, at long last, Discovery shareholders have approved, approved that $43 billion Warner Media merger. So I believe that is the last step. Beyond um, government, I uh, think government regulation? SEC regulation is the next to step. come. But uh, for now, it looks like this thing might but happen. But both sides have officially approved of the deal. Right. They just need to now um, go through SEC regulations. Still, but, still waiting for all that uh, Discovery Plus stuff to just roll right into HBO Max, please. That's gonna be next give me year. one thing. It's gonna be next year. Hopefully, fingers crossed. All right. Next up. Uh, we have some thoughts. You right. watched some television this week. I watched a couple of these as well. All right. Uh, where do we want to start? How about do the ones that you watched, and then we'll do the two that we both watched at the end here. All right. So I watched, uh, speaking of Ted Lasso on yes. Apple TV+, Plus. I watched another thing on Apple TV+. Plus. Yes, the new um, hotness over there. I, I guess it's the new hotness. I watched the first two episodes of this, um, but it's taken me a while to get through it because, one, it's slow trotting. Yeah. It's shot so beautiful. Uh, I talk about Severance. Uh, the Adam Scott yes. uh, new show, thriller, mystery, not a comedy. No. Uh, but its basic premise is that it's about separating your work-life balance. Uh. Who you are at work uh, is severed from who you are outside of work. You're a completely different person. You don't know what's going on. Right. The person you are at work is not the person you are outside of work. Like, the in person. this universe, they have completely separated. You do not know what happens. Yes. As soon as yeah. you walk outside of those doors, you become a completely different person. <laughs> Boy, do I know it. Oh, yes. Anyway. Uh, it's an exaggeration <laughs> of that. Of, right, right. Of that, that, that two Kind of like that two-faced personality of, like, who yeah. you are at work versus who you are at yeah. work. It's friends. taking that in a literal fashion. In a literal fashion to the extreme. Like, an actual, like, procedure done. Right. To... Separate those two. Separate, ties. sever those yeah. ties. And then there's a mystery going on about what exactly do they actually do and how someone was able to break that severance. Um, so it starts with the new person joining the team because the old person got fired. But what really happened is they didn't get fired. They were able to re- uh, rejoin their memories from work and um, and life. Mm-hmm. So that's why they were like, good because they broke their contract. But they're trying to also like get Adam Scott to 
break his contract and take down the company and figure out what's actually going on here. Yeah. It's a continuous mystery, but it may be the tipping point of too many mystery boxes. <laughs> also, it's an hour long, uh-huh. so it's an hour long drama that I don't want to sit there and watch six episodes straight of and get too overwhelmed with. So I got to take bite sized chunks out of. But the cinematography in this thing is amazing. I love the production design in this. The the walls, the the walking through, the architecture of it. It's very... It adds to that like heightened level of what's really going on here. Does anyone not really see the kind of the cracks and the oddities <laughs> that are going on? Or is this yeah. just part of the um, the severance that's that happened between everybody? And then, and then like you like they interact outside of work you're like oh like because you as the audience know that they interact outside of work but actually work together and they have completely different interactions because they don't know they actually work together mm. so it, it adds to that in like a kind of a comedy sense but not really just adds more to the mystery to it okay I like what they're doing. I just think it might be the two nail on the head of what they're trying to get across. <laughs> sure, yeah. Okay. Um, I'll see if I finish this. It may be something that I'll catch up in the middle of the summer to, to finish, <laughs> but it's not something I'm like eager to see what happens next. Okay, all right. Also, what I'm I'll see what happens next yeah. is the... The show NBC was plugging away during the Olympics. Yeah. Called Endgame, or The Endgame. Right. Um, so, in short, this is Snow White and the Seven Heists. <laughs> what? I'm going to make that make sense. Okay. The Let's main, see try. The main character, villain here, Villainess. Uh, sure. Is someone who's been on the run. She hides in the shadows. Who works the black market? She gets what she wants. She's perfect in every way. She is the Snow White. Right. And Snow White here, she actually, like, I think a lot of the nickname I'm giving her, the show straight up calls her, she's like the Snow White of Arms Dealers or something. <laughs> some shit like that. Wow, okay. Instead of saying that she's Snow, she's like the Snow White uh-huh. of, of the thing. And so the FBI has finally caught her. But when they bring her in, the day they bring her in, seven different bank heists go off across Manhattan. Mm. And it's up to the FBI, mm-hmm. CIA, FBI, whoever, government agency, <laughs> the, the federal government, to, uh, one, stop these heists from happening, but also to pin, like, actual crimes on, on uh, Snow White here. Yeah. On how she's able to pull off all these bank heists. Right. Okay. Right. There's a rogue cop. Oh. Who has a, a past and of course. has been trying to track her <laughs> down uh-huh. and is finally caught up to her. She uh, finally like, has her in her grasp. Uh-huh. Or does she? Or is Snow White she? actually playing her? Because several of the like <laughs> traps and contraptions and kind of setups are designed specifically to taunt and mock. This ah. one like agent, 
because she's been on her yeah. case. And she Joker knows style. She's been on her case. It's a personal, like a Joker style kind of personal vendetta, so I think. It has a lot of these layers of like the Blacklist has, uh-huh, yeah. but adds it into kind of a um, 24, right. the show 24 right, right, right. style where you're constantly against a ticking clock of mm-hmm. if you don't stop this, something bad is going to happen. But all of this is actually tied to the people in the room, the people I'm talking about, and your past. I've, and this is where it kind of loses me a lot. Um, uh, yeah. So you're telling me that you have planned all of this steps, all these in advance, hoping that <laughs> the certain things will happen uh-huh. in the order they're supposed to happen. So you kind of get something out of it. I'm not quite sure on the end game here. I guess that's why the show is called the end game. Yeah. But. I bet I could get the same kind of satisfaction of watching the first two episodes and the last two episodes and skip all eight, twelve, whatever <laughs> amount of episodes in the middle and still get the same kind of satisfaction. Right. Because at the end of the day, it's still a serialized show. Certain characters aren't going to die until they get to the end. Certain characters aren't going away until you get to the end. Mm-hmm. So how much of this is actually like puzzle-based, slowly, ever so slowly, unwrapping the mystery of these mystery boxes to, I just want to know what happens at the end. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'm not going to watch the whole thing of this. Like I said, (laughs) I can probably get the same satisfaction of, I watched the first two episodes, I'm just going to wait till the finale and just watch the last two episodes and say, mm-hmm. oh, that's how it all plays together. Right, right. Okay, all right. I mean, yeah, it sounds like it's a network version of something that, like, we've seen a variant on, like, streaming services recently. It's just that it's a network trying to make a more basic version of the same idea. Yeah, but it's a is it a basic version or is it a watered-down version? <laughs> yeah, that might actually be a better word for it. All right. Anyway. Anyways. All right. Let's get into we actually both watched. Yeah, or at least ninety percent of. Let's start with that one. Right. Um, so we last week or two weeks ago, we mentioned that we were in the process of getting through Genius, which is the Kanye West documentary on Netflix. It is a three part series. Uh, we kind of introed it last time by talking about that. Yeah, it's like this guy who like um, like met Kanye West at a young age decided to follow him around in his up and coming rap career and see where it took him and see how big that he got uh, where he got with it um, well in kind of what it ended up being is this huge hours upon hours thing that kind of takes you from the beginning to current day more or less and i say more or less because in the actual process of watching this thing it feels like it was mostly about the first couple years, and then Once really grasps at straws after that. So the first, so it's broken up into three three episodes. Yeah, the first episode is how this how the director met Kanye mm-hmm. and followed him around through about two thousand when he got signed his first yeah. major record label deal. Yes. The second episode is everything that happens between signing that first record deal and the release of the first album Mm -hmm. and him following him around. Right. And then by the time that's over, you've gone through two episodes uh, 
about an hour 20 <laughs> of between Kanye West at 19 and Kanye West at 22, 23-ish. Mm-hmm. More, More or less. Like a five-year period compressed into about 40 minutes. Mm-hmm. The problem is that they try to squeeze this into three episodes, <laughs> and the third episode is everything from him winning his first Grammy Award right. up to now, to 2022. <laughs> and it's a lot. And it's a lot to compress and and yeah. take apart. And it he tries to pin everything <laughs> on two big events. Yeah. The first one being the car crash he got in, uh-huh. uh, which allowed, which basically derailed his career for a bit and no one yeah. wanted to take a shot on him. Right. So he had to write his own, like, stuck to writing beats and writing his own music and being his own hype man. And the second major event is the death of Kanye's mom, Donda. Right. Those are the two big events, uh, at least in the documentary, that points to the turning points in Kanye's life. Yeah. And we more or less knew that going in, because uh, if you followed his career, that is the case. Those are kind of demarketers, like, of where his career took a turn. Uh, But... So, so what I will say is, I, I feel, I feel two ways about this whole project. Um, on the positive side, there is a lot of incredible footage on here, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of things that remind you, oh, that's right, this guy did have like a vision. This guy did have talent. Like there was, there's a real energy to those early songs. There's a real energy to the entire project of the College Dropout, and it reminds you, it's like. Yeah, you know what? That was a great record. And then he did make a few more great records after that. It's a good way to remind you, oh, cool. And a lot of the footage is a real neat behind-the-scenes peek into what it was like in that era. It's a weird 90s, early 2000s time capsule. It is a 2000s time capsule, for sure. Because it's not just about Kanye. It's also a real neat version of what hip-hop was at that era. Mm -hmm. Like, all of the names you'd expect to see show up. Except for Eminem. But I guess he they were in drops. different circles. He, he comes up in conversation. But yeah, you get to see like an early common. You get to see like an early like Jay Z. Well, not early, like mid career Jay Z. You, you see an s- early John Legend. Yeah, you see <laughs> early John Legend in there because yeah, Kanye was one, was the guy who discovered him. Mm-hmm. Fun fact. Um, and yeah, it's just an interesting little piece of time. And so yeah, I think that there's a lot of very valuable, fascinating footage in this thing. Um, a lot of the behind-the-scenes studio stuff is cool. I also got a huge kick out of when they go to um, the the diner and see those UCLA kids studying. <laughs> yeah. And they're just being like, like, remember this guy pointing at Kanye. Remember this guy. He's going to be the next big rapper. And the students are just like, yeah, uh-huh. I'll believe it when I see it. They're yeah. like these weirdos that are trying to, like, we're just trying to study here. And so it's like some fascinating, fascinating footage that that they were able to capture as part of this. And I'm glad that this documentary is a vehicle for that footage. On the other side, though, and on the negative side, um, I think that, yeah, I think that the project got out of this guy's hands. And I think he knows it. I think that he realized by the end of it that there may be, like, the footage was there, but weaving it together into a comprehensive story with the gaps in between, specifically gaps when he literally wasn't talking to Kanye, mm-hmm. um, makes it really difficult to feel consistent, and it makes it li- the third part specifically feel really bumpy. 
Yeah, um, he the director does narrate yeah. this uh, all the way through about his interactions with Kanye. But you're right; like by the time you get to the third episode, mm-hmm. your intera- his interactions with Kanye are very few and far between, and he acknowledges that. Yeah, yeah. And he says he like, does. "I have my own life here. I was doing these other projects, yeah, and occasionally and he'll even show footage of his own family stuff, and it's very, it's a very interesting take because." A lot of people are probably going to watch this and be like, why do I care? Like, why do I care what this guy's family was like? Why do I care about his father? Like, I like this is not the story I'm tuning in for. Tell me more about Kanye. But it's interesting that he does try very hard to link that into the overall story by the end. And really try, try to, like, say, like, oh, no, this story, try to wrap it up at the very end and be like, oh, the story is really about all of these things. It's really about, like, oh, God was showing us the way the whole time. Like, linking back to the religion angle. And it's like... I see what he's trying, but it definitely feels like a creator, a director who is desperately, desperately trying to pull together all these disparate parts and make one thing out of it, when it was clearly a lot of things happening at once. That being said, at the end of it, it does feel like it fall like the feel of it also feels like the feel of the trajectory of Kanye's career, right? Mm-hmm. Because that period that the third episode um, covers it was also incredibly tumultuous. So it's a t- incredibly tumultuous documentary for an incredibly tumultuous period of his career does have a weird poetic justice to it, you know? I do feel like he <laughs> spent the first two episodes trying to get you to remember how good Kanye was, <laughs> yeah. where he came from, why he why he struggles, why he's always, like, hustling and yeah. putting stuff out and trying to be the best. Right. And then you get to the third episode, it's like, but then there's all this recent history stuff, and right. it's like, do you remember Kanye in the Good Life? Yeah. Like, this is why we put it out in a weekly episode, so you can get the two weeks of good Kanye before <laughs> you get to the, all right, here's probably what you actually wanted to tune in right. for. And that's, and that's ultimately kind of where I land on this thing, is it's fascinating. There's a lot of good footage in here, and it's a good recap of everything that's happened thus far. But by the end of it, and this was going to happen no matter how he tried to spin this story, but mm-hmm. the way that this story was always going to end is feeling like a fall from grace. It's ultimately what's happened in real life, and the, the narrative of this documentary gets to this point as well, where by the end of it, you're like, man, what if? There's a real big what if here. What if we had, that he had been consistent? What if, like, this had not gone down a, a hill? What if he had gotten help when he needed help? What if the, the, yeah, there's so many what ifs in his life that, and this really hammers down the point that wherever his, he's in right now, there may be like an element of that old Kanye, that old like spirit, that old drive, but there's so much baggage and there's so much weighing that down that he just feels like a different person. The one really telling and this is the last thing i'll say about it the one really telling moment in this the what i think is the real pivot point is not his mother's death it's before that the bit where he's talking about he was invited to see the uh the 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 party after uh graduation's release and And you see the like you see him totally wasted and there's something that the director uh says where he's like Around that time, I realized he was playing a part. He told me that on camera, he turns into a different person. And that 
he didn't mean to be like he didn't mean to be like keep calling him the wrong name right it's like it's like that's not like that like i'm here like in this guy like still me when i'm not on on camera but i'm playing an act i'm playing a role is basically apparently what he told him off camera you don't actually see kanye say this right but then for the rest of it it makes you think almost like oh the the, the act took over which happens a lot mm-hmm. with celebrity and you do have that moment where it's like oh that's what happened that's what happened here is that he was always this like he was always a confident person but what happened was is he had created an identity for himself that eventually became himself the identity and the act absorbed the person who he used to be and that became Kanye mm. that became the Kanye that you see at the end of the documentary even the Kanye that's like no I'm going to change the world instead of I just want to show people that I'm good at what I do. Somehow that switched and it became, no, I'm not only the greatest at what I do, I want to be the greatest at everything. And I want to be the greatest, period. And I want to be this, this, I want to use my power for the, to change the world instead of just his little portion of his life. And I think that, yes, seems like great ambition and maybe um, a good thing on paper, but it changes who you are. And I think that it's really dangerous sometimes. And I think he's proven that. So yeah, it's a, it's a complicated portrait of a complicated person. And in that way, it's a, it's a interesting thing. And I'm glad that it exists. I'm glad the footage is out there, but unlike the get back Beatles thing we talked about last, last year, Mm -hmm. it is not at all fun to watch is not at all, um, it made me wonder yeah. if there's some music licensing because like <laughs> at points they start a song, right, right? But then they immediately like cut to something else. It is interesting how some of that goes. Uh because yeah, Kanye is credited only as a music supervisor mm-hmm. in the end and the credits, which makes you think that he didn't get a pass on anything but the music. He probably was the one calling the shots of, Yeah, you can use this, but you can't use me singing this. Yeah. I can't, you can't use this performance. You can use the footage, but I'm not going to let you use the the audio for this. Mm -hmm. But it is fascinating what he did allow him, presumably, to use because you do, the coolest moments are when you do get to see the early building blocks of songs. A lot of demo stuff, yeah. That would become huge for him. And that is the coolest part. So, yeah, if you've ever liked Kanye, I recommend at least watching it to see what it is maybe the first two parts and maybe drop off the second the third part <laughs> but uh but ultimately it's a fascinating but very very flawed documentary about a fascinating but very very flawed human being that's that's pretty much what i feel so yeah i don't know where did you land on it uh i mean his mom was a big influence if you didn't know that oh, yeah, yeah. that True. If his mom had lived longer, I want yeah. to say that maybe there had been more stability in his life. Mm-hmm. Of course, again, that's just a big what if. Yeah, it's a big what if. I mean, we can't live in what if, but mm-hmm. it seemed like Kanye never had time to grieve. He just right. buried, immediately buried himself in his He was music. literally on tour when it happened. Yep. Like, he didn't stop. And that's really telling. It seems like he's always trying to do stuff that his mom never mm-hmm. got him to see. Yeah. And so he's never slowed down to actually yes. process anything. Absolutely. And that can really wreck somebody. Yep. Um, and that's definitely part of the puzzle here. 
Anyway. Anyways, uh, we have one last show to talk about. Yes. Show that we were or both she happy to actually to happy talk to about. happy to talk about happy to finish. Um, yeah. It's a shame that we had to wait so long to talk about it, but it's here. So now that the party's over, we can talk about the after party. Alrighty. So yes, we will talk about some after party spoilers. So if yeah, you have not finished oh, the after we're party spoilers here. on Apple TV Plus, just fast forward about ten minutes. Uh, but yeah, uh, let's talk about after party. It is over. We had our predictions a couple of weeks ago about what we thought the direction it was going to go in, and boy, were we wrong. Uh, we have a culprit, and it was not who we thought it was going to be. No, but I did get some of our predictions right. Yeah, some of them. Some of them ended up being correct. You were right about uh, the water breaking and um, and the wig, and the, you were right about the cause of the wig. The cause, yep. Um, but ultimately, ultimately, the big reveal ended up kind of being a fake out, and. Uh, Surprised me, but it does make sense. Yeah. Uh, didn't make you go back and watch the episode. <laughs> no, I didn't yeah. watch the full episodes again. Okay. But I trusted that the little scenes that they showed were accurate. Yeah. And yeah, you. I think that the interesting thing about this is that it works really well as a murder mystery just as much as it works as a comedy and an experiment in genre. It's all three of those things. Because yeah, it's right. One of you to pay attention to subtle differences between the stories, and that's where you could de- like devise who actually did it. Mm-hmm. And the show breaks that down for you in the finale and shows you, like, yeah, if you paid attention, you would have noticed that these scenes all line up, except for this one version of the story, yeah. and it ends up being, well, who can tell you? It ends up being Jasper who did, does it, um, and they explain very well about why it was him. He was the one with the strongest motive, you could argue. And it makes sense at the end that it was like, oh, yeah, of course. I thought some of the little details were great, like yeah. the one with the phone. Right. And then the entry on the different side. Yes. I think the biggest reveal for me was the um, the the, uh, the door, the mirror. Yes, yes, yes. The hiding door. Hiding in the closet, closet. in the perfect time. Uh, yeah, no, it, it all comes together. It all really came together at the end. I was really surprised. Uh, looking back, I think the weakest episode was probably the backstory episode with Cop, with uh, Tiffany Haddish's character. Yeah. I feel like it's not super necessary. I think you could have done that in a very small, like in a much smaller recap, and had the same effect in the final episode. Because ultimately, that big, like that that final stinger at the end, where it's like, oh yeah, the the dude who used to make fun of her came back. Not super necessary. Like that whole angle, like. I guess it makes her character a little bit more fleshed out, but not enough to really feel relevant enough for the story. I liked everything else, though. I don't think that episode's necessarily good for the story, but probably good for the universe, because it did get picked up for a second season, and Jeffy Hash is the one returning. It does make you think that they maybe, once they had like an idea of like, oh, we could do more of this, maybe they were like, let's set up this character to continue in this universe. Even though no one else will return, more or less. Also, right. that does potentially set up that you could see at least one character come back. Yes. But we'll see if that actually happens in the second season. But no, overall, I still think it's a great, it was a great show. It's a whole lot of fun to watch. The, it has satisfying conclusion. And yeah, every experiment they did with genre was fun. Yep, all the different uh, ways to do genre on the same uh, scene. Uh, it's one of my favorite things to see <laughs> yeah. in film is... You take the same concept and you just flip different genre skins on it and right. make not only just make it sense, but make it all fun, make it all entertaining, 
make everyone have a point of view, and that was yeah. great. Yeah, no, it's a lot of fun, and it's so, so funny. So if you have Apple TV+, Plus, please give it, a tr- give it a watch. While you're waiting for Ted Lasso to come back, it is a great show to keep you occupied. So absolutely, 100% recommend on yep. uh, the after party. We may talk about it at the end of the year. Oh, I know it's early, but... Absolutely, it will, it will return. All right, let's move on into... Now that we're done with our thoughts, let's move on into some cancellations and renewals. All right, what am I no longer watching? Stars is renewing Hightown for a third season. Fox is bringing back Next Level Chef for a second season. Netflix will bring back The Cuphead Show for a second season. And as we just talked about, Apple TV Plus bringing back The After Party for a second season as well, with Tiffany Haddish returning. Apple TV Plus also confirmed that Acapulco will get a second season. NBC, meanwhile, has canceled Ordinary Joe after just one season. You called it? Yes. Pick up the phone. (laughs) Fox has has, uh, also called an end to The Big Leap after just one season. Grown-ish on Freeform will get a fifth season. Never Have I Ever. Its fourth season will be its finale on Netflix. Vikings, colon, Valhalla will get a third season on Netflix. Power Book 4, colon, Force will get a second season on Stars. Domina on Epics will get a second season there. Then one death to talk about real quick. If you are a PBS kid and you have fond memories of Sesame Street growing up, you'll remember Emilio. Emilio Delgado, age 81, unfortunately passed, was on Sesame Street from 1971 to 2016. So a very long He run. was the Mr. Fix-It guy. Yes, yes. Long staple of the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, when this came up, Chrissy was very, very sad. She was like, oh, I remember him. Yeah. Uh, he was also in a bunch of other stuff, being some soap operas, but yeah. most people mostly known, will known for Sesame, for Sesame Street. Street. He will be missed. All right, that's it for television. So let's move on into the last segment here with movies. We start with the weekend box office numbers. Move over, Super uh, Spider Man, because another superhero has set some uh, some big money records for the new year. The Batman is your big number one this week with a hundred and thirty-four million dollar debut. I believe that is the third biggest in the post-pandemic era. Right. Um, impressive yeah i I saw this like had the second biggest monday yeah um following the weekend not bad at all following that at number two is a big drop off uncharted with 11 million dollars that's sitting at a cool 100 even domestic maybe it crossed 100 it could maybe be on the road to making its money back but probably not probably not but But streaming will help it down the line so we'll see how it does there Number three, Dog, with another $6 million. That's at $40 million. Number four, the aforementioned Spider-Man No Way Home, with another $4.5 million. That's at $786, if you're still tracking that. And number five, Death on the Nile, with $2.7 million, adding to a $37 million domestic total. Real quick, if you want to wait for Death on the Nile, it'll yes. be coming to Hulu yes. next month. Right. Um, same with the Batman at HBO Max. I believe that's on April 15th. Yes. All right, moving into new releases. We didn't mention this one because there was no theatrical release for it, but this past Friday was the release of Turning Red on Disney+. Plus. That's the new Pixar movie. We will talk about our thoughts about Turning Red as soon as we wrap up the news, so stay tuned for that. But then this weekend, we have a couple of movies for you. X? Yep. What is this? 
It is a... It's a movie. <laughs> I'll leave you alone. <laughs> yeah, it's a it horror movie. movie. Horror movie. It uh, says wide release from A24. Kid Cudi in it? Yeah, at Britney Snow. <laughs> All right, sure, whatever. Uh, it's from A24, so ah. it could be a good horror movie. Ah, I see. In 1979, a group of young filmmakers set out to make an adult film in rural Texas, but when their reclusive elderly hosts catch them in the act, the cast find themselves fighting for their lives. That's an interesting premise. So, Blair Witch Project meets Meat. Amityville Horror. Yeah, sounds like it. Neat. Also this week, Uma... Uma? Uma. I, I believe it's Uma. Synopsis. Uma? Yeah, synopsis for this one. Amanda and her daughter live a quiet life on an American farm, but when the remains of her estranged mother arrive from Korea, Amanda becomes haunted by the fear of turning into her own mother. So a little bit more of a thriller vibe yep, here. Uh, Sandra O oh in this one. Yep, not the only Sandra O oh film. No, we'll get there. <laughs> that was your new releases this week. Moving on to movie news. Oh boy, this one is a doozy. Time to talk about Disney. Specifically, talking about what Disney doesn't want people to say. They don't want you to talk about Bruno. But also, they don't want you, at least in the state of Florida, to say anything about being gay. We okay. move to Florida. All right, uh, this so week. this is the crossover between yes. political mess and yes. movie news. In a memo sent out in response to Florida's Don't Say Gay Bill, which, real quick, if you're not familiar with it, is basically a bill that bans the talk of homosexuality in schools, specifically schools with young children. Um, the Florida uh, lawmakers suggested this would be best to keep out of schools and make it a family-only discussion. Not only that, <laughs> but if a student comes out to a right. uh, teacher or faculty member that they have one week to report to that kid's parents that they are out. Yeah. Otherwise, they could be fired. Right. It's just, it's embarrassing, it's awful, it sucks, and always, obviously, we, you know here at the Media Boat Podcast, we think this is bullshit. But anyway, who doesn't unfortunately feel that this is bullshit is the CEO of Disney, Bob Chapek as uh, he was shown to have in the past supported the lawmakers who made this, who passed this bill in the state of Florida. In response, in this memo, he stated that, quote, the biggest impact a company can make, quote, in creating a more inclusive world is through the inspiring content we produce, end quote. Of course the internet took this ball and ran with it, people talking about hypocrisy, Talking about the only thing that really does make a difference politically these days is political donations and money. So the fact that you're saying, yeah, in our art, we say what we really mean, that's actually bullshit if you don't actually speak with your money as well. It's also bullshit if your art doesn't reflect it. So then, of course, as you know, plenty of LGBTQ plus whatever you are, identity-wise, like our employees of Pixar and Disney Studios so, of course, they also were vocal this week in talking about that the, about the, the disparate uh, opinions here. They alleged Disney and corporate executive, executives have demanded cuts from nearly every moment of overtly gay affection in their films, which has led to only a tiny handful of LGBTQ characters to feature in Disney feature films. An open letter from Pixar read, 
Quote, even if creating LGBTQ plus content was the answer to fixing the discriminatory legislation in the world, we are being barred from creating it. End quote. The employee letter also demands Disney withdraw financial support of all legislators who supported the Don't Say Gay bill and, quote, take a decisive public stand, unquote, against the legislation and bills like it elsewhere, like it elsewhere in the country. So on Friday, Bob Chapek went back to the, the, the microphone here to announce the, in the company email that Disney would pause all political donations in Florida during a restructuring of its political giving framework. Chapek also apologized directly to the company's LGBTQ plus employees for his widely criticized messaging on the issue. He said, quote, It is clear that this is not just an issue about a bill in Florida, but instead yet another challenge to basic human rights. JPEG wrote, You needed me to be a stronger ally in the fight for equal rights, and I let you down. I am sorry. Too little too late, Bob. Sorry. You already screwed up. Isn't this what we expected when we first heard that Bob JPEG was going to be yes. the new CEO? I think, yeah. I is think... he hitting par for the course here? Absolutely. This is the guy that they hired. Everybody knew this was the guy that they hired. He is a businessman first. Mm -hmm. And that means he's making business choices before he's making um, PR-friendly choices. And this has absolutely, absolutely stabbed him in the back. As we say on the Medieval Podcast here, yes. it's a business. And yeah, and that means that business people are going to make choices that make sense to them. Of course, they're going to support Republicans in states as powerful as Florida because Republicans are the one voting for and writing laws for business-favored like situations. Like, like the Disney ones... World in yes. Orlando. It's a huge political play, and it makes sense for them financially to do that because their money comes from those parks. Mm -hmm. They want to make sure that they don't fund politicians that will make it harder for them to make money from those parks. That being said, the business-friendly party is also the party that is whiffing it majorly on LGBTQ plus rights. And you can't have both. You can't have your cake and eat it too if you're Disney. You can't have the business-friendly stuff and also have that reflect the content you're making. You can't have both because that's just how these party lines have been, have been drawn. So yeah, the people are going to be pissed. And when other studios are doing the stuff better, go watch Mitchells versus the Machines. It's a very hard argument to say, like, yeah, but look what we're showing. Like, no, even in the content you're showing, it is not up to the par. You're not right raising the bar like these other studios are. You are not making content that actually reflects the creators that are in it. Most notably, um, recently with Onward, yes, um, there was a scene that, that was supposed to be lgbtq forward but was cut and trimmed down yes. to basically what was amount to a single line yeah. about having a same-sex partner just so it could be played in international markets right better and not be barred there right so yeah um it's a complicated issue uh but ultimately it goes down to disney's got to put their money where their mouth is if they're going to talk about being a progressive company they have to fight for progressive causes period you cannot do one and not the other. Those it's two lip things, service. Yeah, it's, otherwise it's just fake lip service and you're not actually serving anybody. And then on top of that, lying about being supportive to those, uh, to the, even doing that lip service is also bad. You have to actually do it in the, create, in the stuff you're creating to mm -hmm. empower your employees to tell their stories. And if their stories happen 
to these stories from the LGBTQ uh, uh, perspective, let them tell those stories. Don't bar them from telling those stories. We'll talk about that when we talk about turning red. We will mention also mentioned it. it. But we'll get there. Wrapping up our stories here is a little bit of an update about Warner Brothers going forward into 2023. They have shifted a bulk of its films out of this year, 2022, citing a need for further digital effects shots that need to be finished. Most of the films moved are, of course, effects-heavy films, requiring 2,000-plus shots that need to be finished since production picked up for those movies back in 2021. The DC League of of Super Pets, which has been massively marketed ever since Thanksgiving, Mm -hmm. um, gets pushed back from May 20th to July 29th. Black Adam gets pushed from July 29th to October 21st. And Shazam! Fury of the Gods moves from June 2nd, 2023 to December 16th, 2022. The, uh, the reason that one gets the moved rare up. rare move up. The <laughs> reason it gets moved up is because that one's already done. It's uh-huh. filmed, it's in the can, all the shots are done with that. Got it. All other films on their docket have been pushed back to 2023, including Aquaman 2, all the way to March 17th, a year from now. The Flash to June 23rd. Meg 2. Is that the sequel to the Meg, the big shark movie? Yes. Okay. To August 4th and their Wonka movie to December 15th. Yep. Um, they're moving a lot of stuff back. Uh, that Wonka movie uh, stars Timothy Chalamet. Right, right, yes. As the young Willy Wonka before he was a chocolatier. Yes. <laughs> Not sure who wants to see that, but I guess they're making it. Someone asked for it so they could keep the royal doll. Um, yeah. Stuff, even though the books went to Netflix, right. this is their way of saying, hey, we still own the IP of Wonka. Yeah, I guess so. We got this. <laughs> so we have to make a film Wonka in order to make us uh, say we still use it. But yeah, I expected there's a lot of work to do on these yep. movies, and if they need to finish them, they need more time. So this makes sense. Yep. If you're expecting a big DC push, that's going to be moved to next year. Got it. All right, but... That wraps up movie news, which means we finally get to talk about the big movie released this week, which, of course, is Turning Red on Disney+. Plus. As I mentioned, this is the new Pixar film, uh, the first Pixar film to um, to uh, uh, be fully directed and created by a woman. Also, uh, not just a woman, but a, a team of women. Yes, and a whole team of women. I was just going to get there. And, yeah, it definitely shows. I think Turning Red is the best thing that they've done since Coco. That's my, that's my opening salvo. Here. Is Coco better, though? That's a good question. I think they're very different movies, and I've only seen Turning Red once, so I cannot make that call. So as it stands right now, I still feel like Coco is really strong, but this definitely is in, it is now it joins my top three. I okay. think that this joins Inside Out and Coco as what I think are my favorites here. I think that what they've done here has really made it very charming, personable, energetic, relatable coming-of-age story that takes a lot of surprising risks, not even just in animation, but also in screenwriting, and ends up feeling very satisfying and and very touching in that Pixar way without ever coming across as manipulative in the way that some Pixar films do. This is a mother-daughter film. It is. But it's also a coming-of-age film, as you mentioned, it's that time in your life when you're when you've done everything that your parents <laughs> say and now you want to kind of make your own moves yeah. be the person you want to be and it's very good at telling that story um, 
and especially relatable since it takes place during a time specifically that more or less when we were that age. Um, so it's a it's a period piece that it takes place completely in the year two thousand two. Your hero is thirteen, and she is going, and she is in eighth grade. And yeah, it's time to go through some changes. Except her changes are a little bit more drastic than the changes that happen to a, a lot more of kids. Explosive. Yeah, um, and yeah, so it uses basically a metaphor of uh, this girl turning into a giant red panda, eight foot tall, fuzzy red panda, as kind of a metaphor for the changes you go through at that age, whether it be puberty, whether you be again like earning independence from your family and uh, finding a outside of your family a real connection with friends, starting to get a life outside of just mm-hmm. your familiar one, going into more of a social life than you've ever had before. All of this at once. And the story really uh, does a great job about visualizing that and um, using an allegory of feeling scary, embracing scary feelings and not knowing how other people are going to take it, including your own mother. And interacting with your mother with these new with these new emotions and like seeing how that goes like how that dynamic changes and how the mother feels about all this. It also has cultural ties into uh, Chinese culture and what it means to grow up in that environment. Um, and yeah, it like touches on all this stuff and makes it all feel like and it makes it all work. And so that way, by the end of it, you're like, yes, no, that was a, that was very relatable. Yeah, story storytelling wise, it's it's really amazing what they they what they were able to pull off. It's it's also fun. Yeah, it's super fun, and the music um, is very I want to say of its time <laughs> because it's a, it's new music yeah. based on boy bands and lots of synths and Max Martin moves from those early two thousands. Yeah, they brought in uh, Phineas and Billie Eilish to write boy band songs. Yes. Just like to like that would be on the radio in two thousand two and it works amazingly. They've created a very convincing uh fake boy band here. Yes. Even though that they all the lyrics sound very generic. They're, they're still supposed to, they're supposed, they're to be. supposed to be. These are those kinds of songs. Animation wise as I kind of uh 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 alluded to they are finally they find this is the first time that i feel like pixar has finally reacted to the shift that sony has done after uh enter the spider-verse mm-hmm. this is the first pixar film that feels like it's got the energy and the pacing of what dis uh, what sony's been doing over there with their movies yeah. um, not just in the animation style of combining animation and with, hand-drawn animation yes but also taking a lot of those um, Eastern influences, yes. a lot of manga influences, right. a lot of um, anime influences. A lot of anime into influence. This. Um, it's very clear that the uh, that the people who created this have a soft spot for anime. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like Sailor Moon specifically is a big influence yep. here. We um, see a lot of Studio Ghibli reference, especially with the uh, the facial animations for yes. a lot of the lane, of the main characters, as well as its love affair with food. Yeah. Uh, just I, like, I, I did love that uh, um, little sequence there with the dad cooking. Yeah, <laughs> it's just food looks so good. But yeah, it just uh, uh, so it really feels like this is Disney finally admitting we have catch up to do. Yep. Like this is finally them being like, no, we need to give our creators more freedom because the stuff that Sony is doing is knocking out of knocking it out of the park. They've they've raised the bar, and Pixar is finally getting up to there where that bar is. Um, it is the anti-Luca, is the way I would put it. Because unlike Luca, the pace is explosive. 
it really feels like it's building to something, unlike the anticlimax that Luca had. And it nails the ending. It nails the ending 100%. And um, just completely just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger as it goes on. And it, you feel that energy throughout it. Uh, but yeah, as I mentioned, I also want to say they're they're taking some risks screenwriting-wise here. I think a lot of the dialogue I never expected to hear in a Pixar movie. It's a little bit more adult, I feel, in the way that they approach the script this time. They're letting teenage teenagers feel like real teenagers and what that means is is that they're going to talk like teenagers talk and so yeah they're exploring some stuff some subject matter that you wouldn't expect in a pixar movie and i'm glad i'm happy for this because i think if when you especially compare it to inside out which has a protagonist that's maybe a year or two younger like 11 i think she's supposed to be like 11 in that film i think she's supposed to be 12 11 or 12 and so she's on the precipice of this but but that movie only barely touches. Yeah, she yeah. only barely touches on this kind of content. This just goes, no, these are 13-year-old girls. They are going to talk to each other mm-hmm. like 13-year-old girls. They like boys now, and they're not afraid to ogle them. They're yes. not afraid to leer at these boys. They're not afraid to man. fantasize and draw like, about them. <laughs> and the mom isn't afraid of being like, like, oh, like you're 13. Is it time? Like It goes into mm-hmm. the actual changes that are happening in a woman's body at that age. And it's fascinating to uh, see... They actually animated several yes. products for it. <laughs> right, yeah. It's like it's fascinating to see Disney finally taking some risks here mm-hmm. with a pg rating movie and really leaning into that PG and being like, no, we're going to tell the story because this is the story that we're telling. So I am so happy that they made this. I'm so happy that Disney is loosening a little bit of those restrictions yep. so that way they can get to the point that they're making movies like Mitchell's versus the Machines because Sony has really upped the ante. And Turning Red is proof that Pixar is aware. It's finally proof that they're looking at the competition and that they're they're seeing what they can do with the the extra limits of where uh, of what this their animation the kind of stories they can tell in their animation. So this just makes me more excited for what Pixar does next. And I honestly didn't think I would be like this after Soul and Luca. I thought Soul was good, but it had baggage. This movie doesn't have any of that. Yeah, I was on a. Um... Downward decline from Pixar since yeah. Coco with yeah. yes. uh, with Toy Story four yeah yeah and then onward yeah a couple of high and points then and then onward, Soul onward Soul and Luca just Luca. three in a row I was like these they're good things about them but they all had caveats mm-hmm. this movie zero caveats they're finally back to prime form with Turning Red and it's with taking the risk of new directors new people yeah. new voices absolutely people have. Different people with different voices can make good material if yeah. given the chance, given the opportunity, and this is clear cut case of that. Absolutely. So, congratulations in a in a week that has been a PR nightmare for Disney and all its associated companies. I am glad that Pixar was able to put out something that shows them at their absolute best. And so, I just hope that the noise of how good and optimistic and progressive that turning red is i hope that that is the lasting legacy not what the company disney is doing to prohibit those kinds of stories being told i that's at least kind of where i'm at complicated week for the for the studio but i'm hoping that the legacy remembers how good this movie is the art that they're making as opposed to the baggage of the company that's making it and if you liked turning red 
on Disney Plus, there's also a documentary yes. about the making of Turning Red. Absolutely crucial. Watch it if you are curious at all about the the creative, uh, uh, like the creative energy that was put into it. You get to see uh, like like put a face, a lot of faces to the choices that were made in this game or game uh, movie. <laughs> um, you get to uh, like see like the director and the, the especially the production designer really go into why this movie is as good as it is. And yeah, you're right. It's because they let the creators create. And that's always key for making good art is let the people who have the ideas make the thing that they want to make. And they did. They finally did it here. And it shows. Absolutely shows. All right. Anything else you want to say about that? Or anything else you want to say about anything we watched this week? Uh, let's see here. Uh, I'm probably going to see the Batman, as right. I mentioned, later. For next week. So I'll probably have thoughts on it next week. Cool. Um, I think that's it. Yeah, I think that'll uh, do oh. it. Winning time. Yeah. We'll talk about it. Uh, we'll talk about we'll it talk next, about week, next probably. week, probably. When the second yeah. episode hits. Go ahead and watch the full first episode, and we can talk about next week. Yeah, I'm talking about uh, winning time next week. Yeah. It's the uh, HBO Lakers. HBO Lakers. Thing. Adam McKay fictionalized account of the events of the of the the the, yeah, the Lakers dynasty. Yep. So we'll get there. Um, and uh, real briefly, uh, I'm supposed to mention this in music, but got away from me. Mm. Um, Alan Jackson. We reported that he had a degenerative nerve disease. Right. Yes. Officially announced his farewell tour. Uh, okay. Uh, he didn't specifically call it a farewell tour, but. It seems that that's going to be the case. Yeah. Um, where's the... Because uh, I think it's called like the Last Call Tour. Uh-huh. Yeah, Last Call Tour in June. I mean, it is... He is 63 years old, and I bet his health is his priority going forward. So it's got to be... It's got to probably be wrapping up for him pretty soon. Which, you know, you know, enjoy your life. Don't let... Don't, you know, keep touring if it's going to be... A toll, a toll on you. No, but he's gone out and said that he wants to continue touring until he can't anymore. Well, it might so be sooner than later. Well, that's why it's called the One More for the Road Tour. Uh, okay. Well, hopefully, right, uh, yeah, it's called Last Call colon One More for the Road. Hopefully, uh, hopefully, it's uh, it's what he wants it to be. I mean, hopefully, we're he's coming here and we're. Going, there so. you go. So you will report back in October. I mean, we feel like we have to. <laughs> we owe him a lot, considering he was my first country concert. Aww. And well, to see his last country concert um, would Aww. be very fitting, fitting poetic very justice. Fitting. All right. Well, with that, that's a good wrap on this week's episode. Thank you for joining us on the Media Bowl podcast. If you want to see us live, we're on YouTube on Saturday mornings. Tune in by going to YouTube and searching Media Bowl podcast and finding our page, like, subscribe to the channel, and click the bell for notifications when we go live. If you would rather listen to us in audio form, we're on all podcast uh, uh, storefronts that you can think of. We're on iHeartRadio, we're on Apple Podcasts, we're on Google Play and Amazon, among many, many others. So go check us out by searching Media Book Podcast there. That is also where you can hear our ongoing March Madness Bracket Series, where we are currently breaking down a bracket of the all-time greatest Disney animated songs. So if you love the songs from classics like Little Mermaid or 
Snow White and the Seven Dwarves or up to modern classics like We Don't Talk About Bruno from Encanto, we are breaking down a bracket full of them and deciding which one is the best of them all. So stay tuned to that. They are available in all the podcast feeds and our regular podcast feeds. So check that out. We'll have uh, at least one episode up eventually that as of this recording. More to come over the course of the month of March. So go check that out. March Madness Brackets are back. In the meantime, we will, uh, we're also on social media. If you want to go to Twitter, we're at, me- at MediaBoatCast. New episodes are posted there when they go live. And last but not least, if you want to catch us, uh, if you want to ask us any questions, feedback about either this show or the uh, March Madness Bracket, you can do so by emailing us directly, MediaBoatPodcast at gmail.com. Ask us anything and we'll read your question on the air. With that, thank you for joining us. We will be back next week for another episode, so stay tuned. We'll have so much more to talk about. We'll be back next time. Yep, we'll have more news, more thoughts, more of us yeah. blabbing away. All that is true. All right, we'll be back next week with more of that. Bye-bye. So, bye-bye. <laughs>